Welcome to the Beyond the Box Or podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interviewed Coach Chuck Henry. Coach Henry led Fairmont Heights High School to the 2017 state championship in Maryland. He also spent time as an assistant at Barton, Catholic University, and Longwood. Coach, how's it going? Doing pretty good, man. How about yourself? Doing all right. Coach, you want to give yourself a, a brief introduction to the listeners? Sure, sure. Um, my name is Chuck Henry, uh, head boys basketball coach at Fairmont Heights High School. Also the head coach of Team Takeover 17U Orange. Um, I've been with Takeover for about three years now. I've been at Fairmont Heights for about five years now. Uh, born and raised in the, in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, man, I've, I've lived all around the, the D.C. area. Um, when I, I graduated from Forestville High School, uh, went on to Barton College, uh, Division Two down in Wilson, North Carolina. Uh, from there, I played a little bit of basketball overseas. Uh, came home, spent some time as an assistant coach at uh, Longwood University, Catholic University, and at, also at my alma mater, Barton College. Um, and since since I left the the college coaching ranks, I've been at Fairmont Heights High School. Um, so just, you know, a guy who loves basketball, been around it my entire life. Um, so, you, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to be able to, you know, have people get to know me a little bit better. That's great coach. Now you're the son of a coach. Did you know from an early age that you wanted to be a basketball coach or coach of anything? I'll be honest. I thought I was going to be a football coach. <laughs> um, it just, you know, my dad was a football coach, uh, from, from very young age. Um, and I just, you know, football was my first love. Uh, my dad, my dad raised me to be a quarterback. And, and, um, so, you know, I decided I wanted to move into basketball because I, I played in, uh, the coaches versus students game when I was in high school. And, um, you know, I just, I, I had a good game that day. The basketball coach came over to me and asked me to, uh, did I want to play basketball this year? Uh, so I did it. And, you know, that's where my love for basketball grew. And from there, I, I knew I'd be a coach at some point um, because I was I was I was a good player. I was a really good athlete. Um, but I also knew that, you know, I had to be realistic about myself and my goals. And ultimately, I did want to be a coach. So um, that's 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 how my my love for basketball grew. You know, so during your high school years at Forestville High School, you played and excelled at multiple sports. Did back then did coaches try to get you to, you know, specialize and stick to only one sport? No, not at not at Forestville. Um, the coaches the coaches were really close at Forestville. Um, I still, in fact, I still talk to my my football coach from Forestville. I still talk to my basketball coach from there. Um, guys are still mentors to me to to this day. Um, so no, they, they didn't, they didn't encourage me they, um, to just play one sport or specialize. They really wanted me to just, you know, do as much as I could. I mean, one, one thing about people, uh, about me that people don't know is I played baseball while I was there. Um, I ran cross country while I was there. Um, I swam a little bit as well. Um, so my, my coaches encouraged me to do as much as I could. We were a small school. And um, it was really just about us, you know, getting exposure and getting experience and having all these different life experiences. So um, my coaches were, you know, huge, 
advocates for me just, you know, getting out and just exploring who I was as a, as an athlete. That's terrific. You know, you led the high school football team to a combined something like 24 and two record as a junior year. You guys uh, made it to the 99 Maryland state championship. Did you have much interest from college football coaches? Uh, not a whole lot. I had a bunch of division twos offer me scholarships, but um, I just knew I didn't want to play football. Um, you know, my, my college, my high school coaches did a great job of, again, you know, pushing me to excel at everything that I did and, and really just explore who I was as an athlete. Um, but me playing in that student versus uh, teachers game, it, it just it grew my love for basketball. And at that point, I really knew I wasn't going to play football in college, uh, which kind of hurt my dad's feelings. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I went on and had to have a really great career at Barton playing and um, was able to play overseas. So I think I, I think I made the right choice in the, in the long run. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, you know, obviously, stud basketball player, standout, uh, you know, Forestville High School. What was your college recruitment like? Oh, it was it was sketchy for basketball. Man, I, I just I remember I remember trying so hard to, to you know gain some interest from any coach. For football it wasn't hard at all. I mean, you know, football coaches they're they're trying to get numbers. You know, they're they're trying to get dozens and dozens of kids to come to their school and, and a lot of times they have some scholarship money that just kind of goes unused. Um, so it's a little bit different for football. So football, I was able to get tons of Division two offers for football. When it came to basketball, I mean, even at the time when I came out, there were hundreds of thousands of kids coming out at the same time. So it was really difficult for me to gain any interest from coaches. So I actually went to an NAIA school my freshman year. I went to Morris College down in South Carolina. And I went down there, and I played really well. Uh, my freshman year, I was a starter um, as a freshman. Um, one of one of two, we, we had three freshman starters on our team. Uh, we were pretty good, but at that point, I knew I knew I didn't want to be that far away from home. So, uh, my school Barton had already, you know, kind of flirted around with me coming down there my freshman year. It didn't it didn't work out with the money because they didn't offer me any scholarship money. Um, but as a transfer, they, they offered me more money coming in. Uh, how, t- how tough was it to leave Morris as far as, uh, you know, the friendships, relationships, and success on the basketball floor individually for you? Um, initially, it was, it was pretty easy. Initially, it was pretty easy um, just because I knew I didn't want to be eight hours away from home. Um, but when I did, when I did leave, um, it actually got a lot harder because a friend of mine, um, I remember making a really great friend my first year, um, a kid named Zachary World. I'll, I'll never forget him. Uh, and he and I would talk all the time from, you know, from the day I got on campus until the day I left, um, all the way through when I, when I enrolled at Barton, we talked every day, uh, nearly every day. And then um, I think my sophomore year, uh, we I got a call in like the middle of the night from a friend who went to went to Morris with me and Zach, and she was from D.C. and she called me. She said Zach died. Um, 
at that point, that's when it, it really was hard about me, you know, leaving Morris um, because Zach and I were so close. And I always told him, I was like, man, I'm going to come back and visit you. And I never got an opportunity to come back and visit um, just because of the demands of Division Two basketball. So I, I just I didn't have an opportunity to come back. So that that made it tough on me. Um, but outside of that, I just didn't want to be eight hours away from home. Um, I, need, I knew I needed to get closer to home. Um, but, you know, just the, the relationship I built with Zach and um, not being able to be for be there for him in his, in his last hours, that really hurt me. I can only imagine. Yeah, it's devastating and tragic. You know, once you got to Barton, you know, talk about the success you guys had during your playing career at Barton. Uh, well, Barton hadn't had much success basketball wise, uh, until I got to, until I got there. Um, and I, I definitely won't say it was because of me because my, my sophomore year, I, I got like almost no time. <laughs> um, I struggled because Barton was like a, the next level in regards to basketball for me. Um, I got there and my teammates were incredible. I mean, I still, I still talk to all these guys to this day and it's like, um, man, I, I got there and there was so much more talent than I had ever seen before. But, you know, with, with that talent, we had to figure out some kind of way to, to come together and win. And so my coach, uh, coach Ron Levesy, who's, he's still there at Barton. I think he's in like this, his 23rd year now, um, you know, he's, he's just an, a master motivator to, to get guys to just play well. Um, and so we, we started to see some success. Um, and this, in fact, when I graduated, I graduated in 2005 and that was like what we thought would be like the peak of what Barton would ever do. And then all of a sudden two years, then the next year they go to the sweet 16 and a year later they win the national championship. So, you know, we like to always credit our group as the group that was really the catalyst to really get it going. Um, because there were some guys who who played with us that were on that state, I mean, on that um, national championship team. So, you know, we always we always credit us as the ones who really got kind of got the fire lit. Gotcha. Now, you know, even in high school, you know, you were a high academic student. How difficult was it to be so strong in the classroom and on the hardwood at the same time? Man, I, I tell my kids all the time, it's the most important thing. Um, if you're not a good student, you, you're odds are you're not going to be a great, great player. You know, it's it, the basketball, basketball is so much different than what it used to be. I mean, it used to be where coaches were trying to just get the best, the best athletes. But if you get athletes who, one, you know, can't read or, or, or something like that, man, it makes it really difficult to, to try to run plays, for instance. You know, if, if guys have uh, a, a low understanding of situational uh, developments in basketball, it, it's really, really hard to try to play this game at a high level. And that's why recruiting has, has changed the way it's changed, um, because coaches are looking for kids who are high academic students, um, but can really turn it on on the court. You know, if you can be one of those guys that can uh, – almost everyone's looking for a Tim Duncan, you know, a guy who's of high character, high intelligence, can be an absolute dog on the court, but is the nicest guy in the world off the court. 
That's essentially what all coaches are looking for. And I, I tried to be that, you know, not, not knowing what that was at the time, but that's what I really tried to be um, when I was in high school, when I was in college, as a player, as a person, um, you know, just be a dog on the court. Um, when I get off the court, just try to be the nicest person in the world. I'd say uh, you're up there, man. You're a high character, really down to earth guy. So uh, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. You know, you played with one of the all time greats in the school history with Ann. And he ended up helping him to the 2007 national championship, obviously. But what made him such a tremendous player? Well, I actually didn't get to play against, play with Ann. He he transferred in in 2006 from Campbell, but he was he was actually from Wilson. So we played pickup ball with him a few times, and the one thing that I I remember of him, and just you know just taking from the time we played pickup ball, you know he he would always encourage everyone around him. I mean he is the absolute most encouraging guy I've ever been around in regards to basketball. Like if you, if you make a mistake or if you, if you mess up something, he's always going to coach you and teach you and tell you why it was wrong, you know, what you did wrong and how to make it right. And he was never one of those guys to like really jump on a guy, you know, unless you weren't, unless you just weren't giving your all. I mean, he was an absolute competitor. Um, the the dude just will he will run through a brick wall for for anybody who was on his team, and he was and he could get a bucket whenever he felt like it. Yeah, that usually helps. Man, I don't I don't think I've ever seen a guy like him that can get a bucket is whenever he wants. I mean, because like he shot over forty percent from the three, he would shoot you know sixty plus percent from the field, and it's like. If he decide if he decided he wanted to score, he would score. If he wanted if he decided he wanted to get fouled and get to the line, he would get fouled and get to the line. He could do whatever he wanted to do on the court. You know, I, I read that Gilbert Arenas was instrumental in your decision to pursue a, a pro career overseas. What was your relationship with him like? And, and who else did you get to know when playing in the Goodman League? Oh man, I got to know a lot of those guys. Um so Gil, Gil played with us down the Goodman League. I can't even remember. I, I can't even remember what year this was. Maybe it was 2006. And um, you know we're playing, and he's he's absolutely going off. I mean he's he's absolutely going off. Maybe you know 50, 60 points. You know it's, it's something crazy. And so, like, I feel like I'm not even playing really well in that game. And after the game, he was like, yo, I like your game. I was like, man, you just scored 60 points. He was like, yeah, but you were in the right spots all the time. You set great screens. You were talking off the ball. You did – he was like, you did all the other things right. The only thing you didn't do was score the basketball today. He was like, but you freed up me to score every point that I needed to score. And I was like, man, well, I was like, you're the pro. He was like, you know what? He was like, it ain't no reason why you can't be a pro, too. And that really encouraged me to really got, kind of go after it. So I decided to go to a couple um, overseas camps. Um, and ultimately, it ended up working out for me. You know, I didn't, I didn't play a long time over there, but I got an opportunity to have a really, really great experience. 
you know, you go overseas, you nearly average a triple-double, you know, 33 points a game, 16 rebounds a game, like eight steals and in 08, 09, you had four triple-doubles. Talk about the life of a pro basketball player in Germany. Ooh, it's rough. It's really rough. Um, anybody who's not mentally tough, it's not for for them. Anyone who's who gets homesick easily, it's not for them. Um, anyone who needs to be around other people all the time or, you know, need that gratification of having people, you know, in their corner all the time, like, it's not for them. It, it's it's a lot of solitude when you're there. Um, you're, you're by yourself. You're alone. And so that's the very first thing you have to get, get over, especially when you're in a country where, you, you you know, you may possibly not be able to speak the native native language. And it's really difficult. Um, you practice twice a day. Uh, you, you practice twice a day and, you, and you're going to have you gonna practice twice a day for for five, five days out the week. And then you're going to have a, a game once a week. And it's like really, really hard to get past two practices a day to get to one game at the end of the week. You play Saturday or Sunday. And if you have a cup game, you might play a second game that week. But it, it, it's really hard because people don't realize how much time you have to spend working on your game, working on your craft. Like, it's your that's your job now. And so you have to go to the weight room. You have to find time to get shots up. You have to take care of your body. You have to eat well. And so ultimately, I ended up just building routines. Um, myself and the guy who ended up being sort of my interpreter, um, just a really good friend of mine, he and I just developed a bunch of routines. And um, it helped me gain some sense of, just some sense of normalcy, um, just being in Germany. Um, but it was, it was difficult, especially when with me being in such a small town. I mean, my town was so small. Maybe, maybe 75,000 people. And when you were in Germany, you coached the youth team and then directed skilled improvement camps. Talk about how difficult that was just because of the language barrier. Um, it was hard because most of my kids actually never played basketball. It wasn't, it wasn't so hard in the sense of the language barrier because my teammates did a really great job of like teaching me you know, uh, enough German to get by in regards to basketball. You know, I could I could count I could count down the shot clock. I could, you know, say help side in, in German. I could do all those things in German. So, in regards to basketball, it was it was not that hard. Um, just day to day day to day life was difficult. Um, but my kids my kids were all handball players. They were all soccer players. Um, but I had my interpreter there, and then there was some foreign exchange students who were from America. Um, there was a girl named Sarah who used to, you know, just sort of hang out with us. Uh, she was a foreign exchange student who played in the club as well. And she helped me out with the camps. Um, but it was a lot of fun. You know, after you broke your foot, turned stateside, you become an assistant coach at Barton. The team goes and wins something like 23 games, Conference Carolina's regular season title, and, and – and, ends up making the Division II Sweet 16. What was that first college 
experience was? It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, we we had a really talented team. Um, again, I learned a lot from my, my head coach, Coach Levency. He, he taught me the actual behind-the-scenes stuff that I didn't know about as a player. Um, he trusted me to, to do a lot of stuff. You know, he trusted me to, to set up meals, and he trusted me to do the travel, and he trusted me to, to even put in plays and stuff like that. So I was I was very appreciative of him for that. Um, because he trusted me. Um, so my, my experience there was really great. Um, I actually went down there my first year as a volunteer. Um, like I, I went down there with, with all, you know, like I, I just I packed up my stuff and went down there. I, I rented an apartment and I said, Coach, I'm going to come down here and volunteer with you for a year. And he was like, well, sure, come on. So I get down there and I volunteer and uh, and I think most people don't think about this or know this, like, you know, it's hard to break into coaching. And so my very first year I had to like do it for free. Like I paid my own way to, to just be a coach at my alma mater. So, you know, I think, I think anybody who's trying to get into this coaching game, that's the one thing that I would tell them, man, it's hard and, if you really want to do it, you'll sacrifice a lot to, to try to figure it out. No question. You know, you ultimately return in the DMV, uh, you know, landed an assistant coaching job at Catholic University under Steve Howe. How did you land the job, and, and what was it like uh, working alongside guys like Paul DeStefano, Ryan Holland, and Ryan Escal? Oh, man, that was, that was an incredible year. I loved working for Steve Howes. Um, like I really look up to the guy. Uh, it's probably probably the best coaching experience I've ever had. Uh, it was it really sucked that I, I that I was you know just voluntary and and couldn't spend as much time there as I really wanted to. Um, it, it, I had so much fun. I had a lot of fun just being over there with those guys. Um, Ryan and I, we still we still text all the time. I'm always trying to send him a kid over to um, uh, John Jay. Uh, I still talk to I talk still talk to and text Steve often. Um, you know, just you know, asking him how he's doing, whatever. Um, you know, he's he's doing such a great job up there. Good counsel. That program that program is gonna you know gonna gonna grow um, over the course of the you know his tenure there. So I, I had such an amazing experience. Uh, Coach Paulie D, that's my guy. Um, you know, he, he taught me a lot. Um, he taught me a lot about player development. Uh, it was, it's, he was like an encyclopedia of basketball, man. You could like ask him questions and he would give you, you know, a hundred different ways to, to, to answer the question. And he was like, and that's the one thing he taught me, like, you know, with this basketball stuff, man, there's no one answer for anything. And here's a hundred answers for this, or here's a hundred answers for that. Like he, he had so much knowledge about the game of basketball. I'm sure, I'm sure he's forgotten more stuff than I even know. So um, it, it was really a great time being over there. Uh, Coach Escal, when he, when he finally, he and I spent a lot of time together. Uh, typically he and I, or Ryan and I were roommates when we went on road trips. Um, and then when he left and went to Georgetown prep, uh, just, we talked all the time. We would, you know, throw ideas off of each other. 
Um, so the Catholic University experience was really incredible. Um, we had a, we had a great team. Um, we had a lot of talent. Um, man, I, I think Bryson was still probably one of the better players that I've ever ever coached. Um, he was he was just incredible. What's your best Steve oh, House man, story? Best Steve House story. Oh, so we're we're in a huddle one day, and one thing you'll know about Steve House, he's he's always the smartest dude in the room, um, and so. You know, but, you know, most people who are the smartest people in the room, they like to tell people they're the smartest pe- person in the room all the time. And Steve was absolutely the opposite. And so we're in a game one day, and he says to the team, he said, great fucking coaches don't win games. Great fucking players win games. It's like, okay, I had to write that down. man. I, I wrote that down, and I still, like, I keep that as a part of my notes all the time. You know, great players, I mean, great coaches don't win games. Great players win games. And I write that down every year, and I put that in my in my note card. And that's something that just it, it sits with me and resonates with me. Something I learned from Steve that, you know, he didn't even know he taught me. Yeah, no, I mean, in the two years I was there, man, I felt like I got a master's in coaching from him and uh, Coach Yeah, Stephano. absolutely, man. They They were incredible dudes. Now the class you helped recruit was the the senior class my first year at Catholic. You know, did you envision a guy like Jay Howard having the career yeah. he had at Catholic? He's an All American, twenty one hundred plus points, seven hundred yes. plus rebounds. Yes, because I remember we got Jay late, and I remember when Jay came on his visit. It was like in the it was in the late spring. It, it had to be maybe late April or so. And so, actually, I was leaving Catholic. I knew I was leaving Catholic. And so, Ryan was like, well, you know what? I know you're leaving, but I want you to come see this kid. You know, come come watch his videos. Come see this kid. Give me your evaluation. Tell me what you think. Because that was the one thing I loved about being a Catholic. Uh, Ryan and, and uh, Steve, they really trusted my evaluations of kids. And so, I watched the kid play on film. And right away, I was like, oh, this kid, he's going to be an All-American. And Steve looks at me. He's like, Chuck, you've seen 30 seconds of the kid play. Like, like, come on. I was like, Steve, this kid's going to be an All-American. You can see it, like, right away. And so he kind of he kind of brushed me off. But then the kid ends up being an All-American. It was incredible. Like, you can just see – you can see a level of toughness to a kid when when you when you watch and play on film, so, so I I get it when coaches say I want to I want to evaluate the kid, but you can watch how the kid carved out space when he went to rebound. You can see how he used his body on on, on his moves and he was able to post up and and position himself. And you can see his footwork and you can look at his his leadership skills, the way he was pointing things out on the floor. And within thirty seconds, I was like, man, this kid's gonna be an All American, man. That's uh, yeah, that's spot on, man. I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. That guy was a bucket. He was uh, he was fun to coach. I definitely enjoyed yeah, coaching him. I wish I'd have got a chance to coach him, man. He was. Whew. So from Catholic, you move on to Longwood under Jason G. 
What was your experience like in Farmville? Man, D1 program? worst experience ever. So, so now, now I'm in a position in my college coaching career where I go from the greatest college coaching experience I've had to the worst coaching experience I've had. And it was just, it was just terrible from, I mean, all across the board. I don't, I don't know what else I could, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how to put it, man. It was just, everything was bad. I mean, one, we didn't have any budget for anything. We, you know, the, it was my, whew, I, I, man, I don't, I don't even know what to say. It was, it was just bad. Um, and then I underperformed. So I'm not gonna put I'm not gonna put all of it on Longwood. I underperformed as well. Um, so it's my first, uh, you know, major college experience, and I'm the I'm the dobo, and you know I'm late on things, and I'm you know I'm, you know, travel is is kind of messed up. Uh, so it was just a bad experience, and it just it didn't last long. And right away, I was just like, I got to get out of here. Who did you lean on as far as advice and mentorship during that time at Longwood? Oh, uh, man, that's a good question. And, and while I was there, it was there was one of the, one of the assistant coaches, um, Craig Johnson. Um, he's actually a, a girl, a women's assistant at University of Wisconsin now. He was he was a guy that I talked to a lot um, because he had been in a position that I was in. You know, he had been a dobo before um, at, at a small school. He was a, you know, big time player at Rutgers. And he, you know, he just would, you know, give me advice about, you know, how to do this, how to do that. Um, and he just kept telling me, look, man, you're in a tough situation. Like nothing you nothing you do is going to win games for uh, win or lose games for us here at Longwood University. Like we're going to win or lose games because of the talent we had. And we just didn't have much talent. So he was like, just do the best you can. Did you have any other, uh, you know, full-time coaching offers leaving Catholic? Uh, when I when I left Catholic, I had a couple um, Division twos that offered me an assistant assistant role. Um, yeah, I I I didn't want to be that far away from home though. Like one one was in Florida and one was in like Georgia. Gotcha. Now eventually you become an assistant coach at, at Cesar Chavez, and then after a year there, you become the head coach at Fairmont High. Talk about you know that year. At, oh man, uh, we had fun that year. Uh, we had a lot of fun that year. Coached a kid named Khalif Tate, uh, Jacob Long, and those two guys were you know we thought were all met caliber guys um we we my very first game i think we played against paul the six at um at an event at dematha and you know we blink and we're down like 26 you know we 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 fought back and we ended up we ended up losing by single digits but man you know just my you know it's kind of a, a baptism by, by fire right away you know <laughs> playing pvi you know one of the top teams in the country it was like, sheesh, this is my very first game. This is what it's going to be like all season. Um, but I had a lot of fun. Uh, the coach of that team is uh, one of my best friends, Coach Malcolm Battle. Um, I credit that dude for, you know, really 
you know, really encouraging me and honestly kind of saving my life, man. I, I went into a straight depression when I left Longwood, you know, I had never failed at anything in my life before. Um, up to that point, I had, you know, I had pretty good success record, uh, record uh, for for winning and, and doing things just the right way. And so coming out of Longwood, man, I was depressed. And, you know, Malcolm, he just encouraged me, kind of saved my life, man. Uh, that's got to be difficult, um, you know, and and just the, you know, going through a, a depression and, you know, right, wrong or different, you know, just black males don't seem to talk about it. Uh, so no, I can only imagine. Uh, I'm glad that, uh, you know, you got. Yeah, I, I, you know, just talking to Malcolm Battle and, you know, I, I, I'll be completely honest. I was I was I had suicidal thoughts. Um, and I, and I almost committed suicide a couple times. And I remember one day I'm, I'm kind of just sitting at home and at this point, you know, I got the gun in my hand and I'm, I'm just about to end everything. And he calls me and he's like, what you doing? You know, I didn't want to tell him what I was doing. I was like, man, I'm just sitting here. He was like, all right, I got a, I got an idea. I want to run past you. I want you to come past, come, come to my house. And I was like, nah, you know, I'm really not, I'm really not up for it right now. And he was like, look, man, I'm not taking no for an answer. You need to be over my house. So when I get there, I was like, well, what's this idea? He was like, man, you all right? And, you know, we just talked. He was like, I was like, so what's this idea? He was like, he was like, man, I ain't really had no idea. I just felt like something was wrong with you. I just needed to talk to you. I need to figure out a way to get you out the house. You know, and I felt like that saved my life because had I not gone, I don't know what I would have done, you know, just being in the house uh, by myself with my thoughts of how I failed at, you know, at Longwood University. Well, shoot, I'm glad that he... He got in touch with you, and you know you're here today to tell your your story and to, you know continue to coach and mentor. Yeah, me man. too, man. <laughs> um, you know what's it like running your own program at, at Fairmont Heights, you know, especially that first year. Oh, the first year was tough, man. It was it was a lot of growing pains. Um, I realized how young and immature I was as a basketball coach, as a person. Um, I, I couldn't, again, you know, having struggles with, with losing, like I've never been much of a loser. Um, and, and, and I always feel like I can affect winning somehow. And for the first time, man, I got with a group of, I had a bunch of seniors and these guys didn't want to listen to me at all. They just wanted me to just give them the basketball, or just get out of their way. And I wasn't built that way. We were always, I was always designed that we're going to have a system. We're going to have a program and everybody's got to, you know, be a part of the program. So I ended up, you know, going most of the season um, with my seniors sitting on the bench. And once I did that, it really just kind of, you know, it, it, it fixed itself in a sense. Yeah. The, the seniors are sitting on the bench and they're upset, but now we're winning some basketball games and, Everybody, you know, the rest of the team is a little bit happier and the system's going a little bit better. Um, 
And so ultimately it ended up fixing itself um, my first year. Now, I remember I, I flew up uh, from Louisiana and you know met you. You guys were practicing <laughs> a split gym. You guys and Chavez uh, practicing on one end each, and then I think scrimmaging each other. Uh, got to meet you and Coach Battle. You know, talk about when you you guys in the corner and and realize, man, you, you guys could compete for a state championship. Oh man! So we were, I think it was mid season. We were probably about. At the time, I think maybe we were eight and five. But of the five losses we had, three were by like five points or less. And I turned to my assistant coaches and I was like, yo, we can win this thing. And one of my coaches was like, are you serious? Like, we we barely getting through these games. I was like, yeah, but think about this. Like, our league is going to be tougher than anything we gonna, we're going to see in the playoffs. So we're really just – we're, we're, you know, this is just sharpening us for the playoffs, man. These The teams we're going to play in the playoffs aren't nearly as good as our league. It's like, man, we got a chance that we can win this. And so first year is like, you know, we get to, we get the playoffs. I mean, I'm sorry, year two, we get to the playoffs. We get bounced out in the first round, I think on a buzzer beater uh, from Forestville. The next year, Forestville closes. Nearly everybody on that team, nearly everybody that was on that Forestville team came over and decided to join us at Fairmont Heights. So now we're in the playoffs and it's like, all right, now we've got a big influx of talent. So, again, we get through the season. We're about eight and five again. And I was like, we're definitely going to win it this year. Again, my assistant coach is looking at me like I'm crazy. And so – you know, long story short, we ended up the see we end the season at eleven and six. So we went three of our last four. Yeah, eleven and six. Something so, like that. Oh. now you became involved with the team takeover. What was your role with them, and and how do you think the AU scene has changed since your playing days? Um, man, I love team takeover. Like. It's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, you, you really have to be a part of to really understand all the stuff that TakeOver does and the way they, the way they train their kids and, and parents. And it's like they want to teach you the game of basketball. It's not just the kids. It's the parents. It's the coaches. It's, it's everybody. Like Keith Stevens really puts a lot of attention to detail and making sure that everyone knows how to play this game and play it the right way. Because ultimately, that's the way you have longevity in a game. Um, and so I'm very appreciative of that and being a part of TakeOver, man, because I take a lot of the stuff back to my, you know, I take a lot of it to my 17U Orange team, make sure we play the right way. I take a lot of it back to Fairmont Heights, make sure we play the right way and everyone's making the right play. So the the team takeovers has been really great for, you know, not just my career, but um, just me personally as a coach. It's made me a better coach. You know, you led you led your team to the 2017 Maryland 1A state championship, play the, the University of Maryland. 
Talk about that historic run. Um, that year was a lot of fun. Again, like I said, um, a bunch of kids came over from Forestville High School, and we told them right away, look, this can be something special if you guys really just kind of go all in on it. And we were able to get them to do that. Parents, parents were willing to do that. You know, we we did a lot of stuff together. Um, we did a lot of stuff off the court together. Uh, we walked into the playoffs. I think when we got to the playoffs, we were eleven and seven, which was you know pretty decent, pretty decent record for us coming out of our league. Our league's really tough. Um, but I remember. Uh, a reporter from uh, Bayside, Bayside Hoops, posted uh, posted something on Twitter, and I, I always pinned it on my on my. I used to have it pinned on my on my Twitter, but I think I unpinned it. Uh, but it said Fairmont Heights' record is eleven and seven, but it said um, nine of their opponents that nine of their wins came against teams five hundred or under. I was like, okay. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of our wins came early in the season, so guys were, you know, still struggling, but a lot of those teams were over five hundred at the end of the year. And so I was like, you know what? We're gonna use this as motivation, guys. And ultimately, we ended up winning the state championship uh, versus a really great Emerson Westside team. And at the end of the end of the season, we end up seventeen to seven now. And so. I just kind of retweeted that that same tweet back to the people uh, that sent it out, Bayside Hoops, and it just had a bunch of emojis and, you know, it had the championship ring in it. So that that they, they we utilized that as motivation for us to win that state championship. It was a, it was a lot of fun. And I'll be honest, I, I thought you were going to try for an assistant coaching job at the college level after winning that state championship. Did any opportunities present themselves or, you know, do you see yourself wanting to retire? At um, Heights that's a good day? question, man. I haven't applied to anything. I haven't had anyone call me about any jobs. Um, I, I, I wanted to get involved with the, um, the Mount St. Mary's job that they had open last year. <laughs> Um, but I, I, I didn't even apply for it. Um, outside of that, man, I mean, at this point, I want to be the best high school coach, not only in the DMV, but in, in the U.S. Um, that's my goal. Like, we have all the tools at Fairmont Heights to be a national program. You know, outside of the constraints that Maryland state rules gives us, like there's no reason for us to not be successful here at Fairmont Heights. You know, we have uh team takeover, you know, backing us big time and Keith Stevens is really in our corner and, and supports us. Um, Doug Martin's in our corner and supports us. Van Johnson is a guy who, who helps and supports us. Like it's really no reason for us to not be successful. Uh, it really just comes down to the kids and the parents and the coaches to make sure that we, you know, we're committed to it and that everybody's doing their jobs. You know, the kids need to be in the gym working on their game and the coaches need to make sure that we're coaching them at a high level. Um, so it's, it's really no excuse for us not to take the next progression in the next five years. Uh, we got a lot of talent. 
in our in our in our group right now. Um, I got a point guard who um, is really really good. He's probably good enough to play in the CAA or the Patriot League. Um, I got a two guard who's six five, and he he has an opportunity to possibly be a mid major to high major guy. Um, and then I got two freshmen who you know, depending on this pandemic and when we actually get back in the gym, could be you know thousand point scores themselves and. One has the opportunity to be, you know, uh, and I'm just, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there. I think he's got an opportunity to be a mid-major guy as well um, because he can just score the basketball like, you know, like a kid. I, I Like like no kid I've ever seen at the freshman, you know, as a freshman. It, it, it's unreal how this kid scores the basketball. So we've got all the tools in our toolkit. Um, so really to answer your question, I'm not sure what the future holds. Um, in regards to me, but right now I'm enjoying my time at Fremont Heights. I love the group of kids that I have right now. Um, they're very, you know, bought into what we're doing. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're hardworking. Um, we just, we got to get a little bit better in the classroom and I think we, we can try to grow from there. I love that coach. You know, who, who are some of the toughest coaches to prep for as far as when you see them on the schedule, you're like, man, I'm going to have to do my homework this week. Right away. I would say Potomac because you don't, you don't get like Renard Johnson. You just don't get, I don't get kids as tough as his kids. He's get he's, he gets grown men. (laughs) So we got, we got to prepare for those guys just because we're playing against men. Uh, Douglas, because they always run their stuff. Um, those guys, are, you know, they're, they're methodical. Uh, they're very well coached, um, disciplined. Um, and then Oxen Hill, because Oxen Hill is always just, you know, they have they all they're always intelligent. Um, always a smart group of kids. Always play well together. Um, Coach Lou Howard does a great job with his with his group every year. Um, and then he always finds a gym. Some kid who no one knew about, he turns him into a Division One player like he did with Ronald Polite. Um, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of these kids do the work to become Division One players. But Lou Howard always finds that that one kid and it's like, all right, let me let me find one that's going to, you know, put the work in and then I can help him become a Division One player. And I think Lou Howard does that just as just as good as anybody around. You know, not only do you help your kids uh, on the high school level with recruitment, but obviously your AAU players as well. How many college coaches would you say you interact with on a daily basis? Ugh, that's hard to hard to answer. I mean, some days it's twenty coaches; other days, you know, four or five. But on a, on a on a pretty much daily basis, at least you know anywhere from five to ten coaches um you know of, of varying levels division one all the way down to division three i t- i typically don't talk to too many juco coaches for the takeover guys because typically when we when we get the takeover kids we're very selective on the ones we get obviously because we recruit that team um so typically we get you know division one to division three coaches that will contact us for guys on our takeover team. Um, but for my Fairmont Heights team, it's, it's 
all the way across the board. I mean, we'll get, you know, JUCO coaches and we'll get some NAI coaches as well. Um, but one thing I always tell people is when, when you contact me about a kid, you know, I'm going to give you the kid's information and I'll allow you, you know, I'm not going to say allow, but you know, it's, it's your job to recruit the kid. You know, I'm really going to kind of stay out of it and I'll give some guidance if the family, you know, looks for it, but it's, it's not my job to, to really say, you know, go here or go there, but I will give you my personal opinion if you ask me for it. No, that's fair. I, I, I like that. You know, you watch a ton of hoops. Who are some of the coaches that you've implemented offenses or defenses from Ooh. just from watching All right, them? So this is going to pay me to say this, but I'm a big-time North Carolina fan. So, But I love what Krzyzewski has done over the course of the last, like, 10 years or so because typically he has a system and he's trying to plug – you know, typically most coaches have a system and they're trying to plug guys into their system. And if you didn't recruit the right guys, then it's really hard to get them to play in your system. Well, Shashevsky gets the best players he can get. And then he puts a system around those guys. And you can tell because every year he runs something different. You know, and I don't think it's because, I don't think it's out of necessity that his guys can't do it or, or, or what. I think he's just putting, trying to make sure he sets those guys up for success. And so I would say that's really what I try to do most. You know, whatever talent I have, I'm trying to put a system around those guys to make that group successful. Okay. Now, Coach, I've come to the segment I call Start, Bench, Cut. I give you three <laughs> things. You start one, bench okay. one, cut one. I already know who you're starting for this one, but I'll go ahead and ask anyway. Uh, Nike, mm. Adidas, Under Armour. All right, start Nike, bench Under Armour, cut Adidas. Okay. That's probably going to be the toughest one I give you right here. John Thompson, Morgan Jeez. Wooten, Gary Williams. Oh, that's tough, man. All right, just because you can't cut Morgan Wooten or John Thompson, I'm going to cut Gary Williams just be – oh, man, just because tough decisions got to be made. <laughs> but I love Gary Williams, man. Uh, so I would start John Thompson because he's on my Mount Rushmore. I would bench Morgan Wooten um, only because I've never – I never had the opportunity to meet him. Um, although I, I study him a lot, I never got an opportunity to meet him. Um, so I'll say, I'll say bench him and I'll start JT. Okay. That's fair. Uh, cookout, Chick-fil-A, yeah, Bojangles. You those Zaxby's in there? <laughs> ah, we can throw in Zaxby's. Zaxby's are right, good. That, so I'm starting Bojangles. Zaxby's. Um, um. I'm benching. Uh, you said Chick Fil A. I'll bench Chick Fil A, and I'm cutting. I'm cutting both yep. angles. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, he got game. Ooh, White man can't chips. jump. Blue chips. He got game. Is on the bench, and I'm cutting. White man can't jump. 
Okay. Uh, last one. Twitter follows Marcus Helton, Rex <laughs> Chapman, Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm going to start Rex Chapman. I'm benching Marcus Helton, and I'm cutting Donald Trump. That's <laughs> funny. Love it. Coach, <laughs> I needed one like that to end it with. Coach, Ooh, who three are three guests, guests I should have, have on the podcast? podcast? Oh, Coach Will Maynard. Uh, I don't know if you've done Steve Turner yet, but I would say Steve Turner. Mm. Oh, my my guy from um from uh from Douglas, Coach Trump, um, Tyrone Massenburg. Okay, okay, Coach. You know you've coached at various levels, played at different levels. What advice do you have for people trying to get into coaching or to um, move up the rank? All right, so for anybody that's trying to get into coaching, uh, the first thing I would say is be genuine. Uh, it's so many dudes out here nowadays trying to get jobs, and they're trying to get jobs on the strength of coaching AAU, and they want to be a package deal with a, a really great player, or they're trying to you know use somebody – like, ultimately, that's not going to serve you well in the long run because just like you use somebody else, they're, you're going to get used and you're going to get used up. So just just be genuine. Like, you know, be 100% all the way in your craft. You know, that's that's what I would say for anybody that's, that's trying to get into it. Uh, and nothing beats hard work. I mean, we always try to tell the kids that, but even as coaches, nothing's going to be hard work. So like like with me, I volunteered my very first year, uh, and I you know I put in the work. Um, so nothing's going to be hard work for anybody who's trying to get into it. For someone who's trying to move up the line, the advice that I would give them is, don't coach this job, one foot in, one foot out, looking for the next job already. So like with me, I'm all in on Fairmont Heights. I'm not one foot in, one foot out. Have I applied for other jobs and interviewed for other jobs? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, Fairmont Heights is going to get 100% of my attention. You know, my, you know, from my planning to my expertise to my passion to my, my love, it's going to get 100% of me. Even if I do apply for another job or interview for another job, like I'm not coaching because I feel, you know, I, I'm I'm not coaching this job looking for the next job. Like, I'm coaching this job because I want these kids to be successful. And, you know, so that's what I would say for anybody moving up the line. Don't coach a job for the next job. Well, that's great stuff, Coach. You know, if listeners want to get in touch with you, uh, social well, media, IG email, what have Twitter, you, what's the best way? At Coach Chuck Henry. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.